Heavenly Father, we recognize that all our ways are known to you. So we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we would obey your word and do what you have commanded us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we begin a new series on the book of Micah. Uh, we finished with John's Gospel, and so I thought it'd be good to go to one of the minor prophets. It's been a couple of years since we looked at Amos together. And so we're looking at this book of Micah, and Micah is a prophet who comes uh, during the reigns of the last of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Uh, the land of Israel, of course, was uh, populated by the Israelites at this time. Uh, they had been there for a number of years, uh, for several centuries, uh, under the leadership of the different kings that God had appointed over them. Uh, we remember the Israelites originally uh, were in the land under Abraham and Israel, um, Abraham's son Isaac, and then Isaac's son uh, Jacob, who is Israel, and then his 12 sons. But they ended up down in Egypt. And from Egypt, they were enslaved by Pharaoh and then came up out of the, under the leadership of Moses and then entered into the land under the leadership of Joshua. They lived in the land for a number of years and then gradually it became more and more apparent that they weren't going to live according to God's ways. And God sent a series of different prophets to them, warning them of the, the conquest of that nation uh, because of their sin. And so that's what Micah has as a message to the Israelites. He follows in a long line of prophets who were warning the Israelites that the Lord was against them. That is the message that he has for the Israelites. We see that in verse 2, verse 2 of chapter 1. It would be good for you to have a Bible open in front of you as we look at this passage more closely together. Micah chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Hear, O peoples, all of you, listen, O earth and all who are in it, that the sovereign Lord may witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. The Lord is a witness against the people. It's like a court has been convened, and the Lord is witnessing against the Israelites. And he is indeed angry. Uh, we see his anger being described, uh, and this is why it's so terrible that the... The, the Lord is angry with his people is because he's also coming against his people. Uh, look with us in verse 3. Verse 3, it says, Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. It may be that some people think that, oh, it's okay if someone's angry as long as they're not near me. Now, you see that with children sometimes. They, they're okay when mum says, your father will be very angry about this, and they think, oh, it's okay, dad's still at work, I don't really need to worry about it. It's when dad starts to unlock the front door that it suddenly becomes a problem that dad is angry. And it is not as though God is coming and he doesn't have power to act in his anger. We see that his anger is indeed very powerful. Uh, we see that in verse 4 it says, the mountains melt beneath him. And the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. The Lord is angry, and he has power to melt even the mountains. And this is serious for the Israelites, because the high places, the mountains, are the places where they would seek refuge. Uh, that is why it's so important to note in verse 3, it says, The Lord is coming from the dwelling, his dwelling place from heaven. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. What are high places? Well, they're where you usually have your fortified city. If you're up on a mountain, you have a military advantage. If a nation comes against you, if you're above them, you can throw stuff with the assistance of gravity down at them, and they have to climb a hill. Some of us struggle to climb any hill, let alone if we've got a big lot of armour on us and weapons and someone throwing stuff at us. It is very difficult. 
And so the fortified cities were on mountains. But it is the Lord that comes and he treads, stomps on these fortified cities in his anger. Also, high places were places of worship. You see that again and again in the Old Testament, that people would have altars and they would have temples on high places. And that is a place of refuge as well. Not just the military advantage was there in, in high places on, on the mountains, but also their, uh, uh, religious safety was meant to be felt in the high places, that God would be okay with people because they would worship him on the high places. But God is coming and stomping on those high places, including the temples and the altars that are there. And so this idea here is that dad is coming and nothing will stop him. Children may not fear dad if he comes and he unlocks the front door and then they know that dad gets angry but he doesn't do much. You can easily buy him off, that you can lock your door, your bedroom door and he'll stay out. You've got a fortified place that you can run to and dad will eventually give up. Or if I just placate dad, if I just give him something he will turn away. If I just say sorry to him, if I give some sort of almost religious offering to him, it'll all be okay and he'll go away. And so I don't really need to worry that dad is coming. But God's not going to be placated. He's not going to be defended against by a fortified city. He is going to judge Israel. And why is he judging Israel? Why is he coming in wrath? Why is he stomping on the high places? Why is he removing all their defences? It's because of their sin. We see this in verse 5. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the house of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? The Israelites are guilty of sin. And one of the main sins that's spoken of again and again in Micah is the sin of idolatry, not worshipping God as they should. They were worshipping other gods. And when they worshipped the Lord, they would worship him in ways that were foreign to him. They would use idols. And so, of course, God is angry about their sin. And he's so angry that he is melting down the high places. It's graphic language that's used there in verse 4. The mountains melt beneath him. And the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. That is how God is going to treat the Israelites and all their defences, all their acts of religious worship that they think will placate God, all their military forces. They're going to melt like wax, even like water. You think of a candle and as it melts, the wax, it's runny enough. But if you have a really strong fire, a big blaze against wax, the wax turns to basically water and it runs away very quickly. And that is the description here. The fire of God's wrath isn't just melting Israel's defences somewhat, like a candle melting a bit of wax. No, it's turning everything basically to water. Now, did this happen? Did God come in judgment against Israel? Well, the answer is yes. He sent the Assyrian army, and it worked its way down through Israel, even getting to the gates of Jerusalem as well. We see different towns mentioned in the rest of chapter 1. Town after town fell as the Assyrians worked their way down, slaughtering many of the Israelites, and then even making it to the gates of Jerusalem itself. We see that mentioned to us in verse 9. For her wound is incurable, it has come to Judah. Judah thought they were the right ones because they had the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. They had the real high place. 
But what do we read in verse 9? It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. And then down in verse 12, those who live in Moroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief, because the disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. It doesn't matter whether you are part of the tribe of Judah, the tribe that has stayed faithful to the Lord. Remember the kingdom split. You had the northern kingdom of Israel, and then you had the southern kingdom of Judah. And the people in Judah thought they were the faithful ones. That's where the Levites were. They would be okay. But Assyria came down and stomped on town after town after town and even got to the gates of Jerusalem. So Micah's prophecy came true. The prophecy of the Lord came true. As the Lord came in his wrath using the Assyrian army to melt town after town, high place after high place. But does Micah's message apply to us today? It's all a very interesting history lesson we could have here this morning as we look at Micah. Does it have any relevance to us? Well, yes, because the Lord is still angry. The Lord is still angry. We look at a passage in the New Testament like 2 Peter chapter 3, which we just had read for us, and it speaks about the day of the Lord that is coming and the wrath of God that comes as fire. The Lord is coming. He is angry, but he's not remaining in heaven. He is coming down. And he's coming in wrath. And his wrath is still very powerful. The Lord is able to melt all high places, just as he melted in the past. He is still able to melt the high places. Now, you may not trust in a mountain to keep you safe. You may live in the hills area and you think you're a bit safer up there. Some people like to live in the valleys down closer to the water and they think that's a better place to live. You may not live in the high places, but we do trust in things to keep us safe, do we not? And they can become our idols, just like the Israelites trusted in their fortified cities to keep them safe and became an idol. Their strength, their physical strength became an idol or their religious works became an idol to them that they thought that they could win God over by their religious rights. It's the same for us today. We all trust in something to keep us safe. What do we trust in? We trust in our possessions. We trust in our fortified homes, the locks on our doors. We trust in our bank accounts and our share portfolios. You may even trust in some guns if you have them in your gun locker at home. Hopefully you do have them in a locker according to uh, the state laws. Some of you may possess a gun and you think that'll keep you safe. I'm okay because I have a weapon in the home. Or you trust in other humans to keep you safe. You trust in your government. They're people who are high people in high places. You look at Parliament, it's up on a hill. They're on the high place for Australia. Are they going to keep us safe? People trust in them to keep us safe. Or they trust in the military or the police force. Or they trust in teachers. They know what is right and what is wrong and how to live. Our philosophers, they trust in doctors. You trust in doctors to keep you safe, to keep you in good health. Or you trust in your family. Some some families are bigger on this than others. But some people are connected and they have the family to look after them. And that becomes an idol in itself. Or we trust in our own bodies. We say we can't trust others, but I can trust in myself. I've got a brilliant mind and I've got strong arms and I will be okay. And so we make idols of our bodies, of our muscles and our minds. Or we make idols of our religious rights as well. Our good works. We think we can placate God with works, like placating an angry father. But we cannot. We cannot. With all these idols, they can melt in the fire of God's judgments, even when we try to placate God. It's really nothing that we can offer to God. 
you think of a child who's crashed the car. He took the car without asking and he crashed it with reckless driving. And then he offers dad five cents to make up for the damage. Is that going to placate dad's wrath? But that's what people try to do. They try to placate God. But no, God is coming and every idol will be destroyed. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3, that passage we had before, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Why? Because of the sins of mankind. All who are on earth are guilty. We see the universal nature of the warning from Micah chapter 1 there in verse 2. It says, Hear, O peoples, all of you listen, O earth and all who are in it. Yes, of course, this was a prophecy that was given to the Israelites. But it is universal in its application as well, that it's to all the earth. All who have sinned against God should listen to this message because it is to them as well. And so what we need to do is to rightly view the world. View the world as God sees it. And what's that? Well, the world is like one giant wax museum. You ever been to a wax museum? This Madame Two Swords down at uh, Darling Harbour. We went there once and we saw the different celebrities, but they're not actually the celebrities there. They're uh, made up in, in wax there in front of everyone. And you can look at them. You can have a cuddle with Obama and you can have a cuddle with different people and have your photo taken. But really, they're just wax. They're not real. And that's what we have to think of, of the entire world, all that we own. It's just like wax. It's just like wax. The houses we have, the furniture we have, our weapons, our money, they're all made of wax. All the people are made of wax. Our politicians, our military commanders, our police, our teachers, our doctors, our family members, they're all just waxworks. And our own bodies with their muscles and minds are just like wax as well. And all our false religious institutions with their buildings and their furniture and their books, their books upon books upon books, they're all like wax. Why are they like wax? Because what happens to waxworks when fire comes? They melt. They can't withstand the heat. And so they simply melt. And that's what's going to happen to everything in this world. Second Peter reminds us of it, as well as Micah many years before Peter, reminds us that all the elements will melt before God's wrath. They will be as weak as water, ultimately. They won't even be like wax because the wrath of God is so strong. So is there any hope? Micah doesn't seem to have any hope for us this morning. Judgment is coming. You can't withstand it. Place after place will be defeated, town after town. But there is hope. The wrath of God came to the gates of Jerusalem, but it stopped there. If you read the, New Test uh, the Old Testament and the accounts that are given for us in Kings and Chronicles and also in Isaiah, the prophet, we read that Hezekiah, the king of Judah, prayed to God and asked for mercy. And the Assyrian army was definitely wounded one night by one angel of the Lord going out and destroying 185,000 soldiers in one night. And the Assyrian army retreated. There's hope, as we understand what did happen. And then there's even hope in the book of Micah. There's actually quite a few passages where there's hope given to God's people. Different areas of salvation that pop up from time to time in the midst of the judgment. And we'll look at them as we go through this book together. But just one of them that's very famous to us. If you don't know much of Micah, you'll know this passage. Micah chapter 5. Turn with me a couple pages over. Chapter 5 verse 2. Is there hope for God's people? Verse 2 of chapter 5. 
But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. Familiar passage to us usually at Christmas time and is read that a ruler would come out of Bethlehem and save God's people. And of course... This is how we experience salvation, not by God overlooking our sin. That would be unjust. If a child has done something very wrong, the father must punish the child. Otherwise, he is winking at sin. So how is there salvation? How is there hope to escape the melting wrath of God that's coming? Well, it's by somebody else being melted as a substitute. It's interesting, this word wax that's used in verse 4 of Micah chapter 1, where it says, The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. This word wax, translated wax, the Hebrew word behind that, only occurs a handful of times in the whole of the Old Testament. Only a handful of times. And one of the times is in Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Turn with me now to Psalm 22 which is found on page 543. If you open your Bibles to the middle, you hit the book of Psalms, and page 543 has Psalm 22. And verse 14 has one of the only other occurrences of this Hebrew word that's translated wax. And how is it used in this verse? Verse 14 of Psalm 22. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. The psalmist here is describing his heart as turning to wax. And who is this psalm, who is this psalm describing? Well, ultimately, it's describing the Lord Jesus Christ, because this psalm is known as one of the psalms that the Lord Jesus quoted on the cross about himself. We know the first verse very well. Psalm 22, verse 1, look with me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so the rest of the psalm applies to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And so what do we understand? Well, at the cross, as the wrath of God was being poured out upon Jesus, his heart was turning to wax. It was melting before the wrath of God. As the wrath of God was being put upon him for our sin, if we trust in him, he was melting in the face of that. This is a tremendous truth. The Son of God himself, the second person of the Trinity, came and took on flesh and became as vulnerable as a waxwork. Just as vulnerable as we are. I said the whole world is like wax. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, became as vulnerable as the rest of the world, made of dust as we are of dust. And then God's wrath melted his heart, melted his heart at the cross, but an amazing truth we understand in the scriptures is that the fire actually burned out in the wax that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The wax swallowed up the flames. If you get enough wax, you can swallow a flame. What could swallow the flame of God's wrath? The Son of God. 
The Son of God could swallow such a flame because his death is of infinite value. So he can swallow that flame of God's wrath against sin and cry out, it is finished. The flame is out. And then we understand what happened next. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected, not as vulnerable wax, but as an eternal body, never to suffer again, never to experience God's wrath. And this is good news. This is good news. If we trust in Christ Jesus, we are in Christ and are safe from God's wrath. We're safe from God's wrath. If we trust in Jesus Christ, we were there that day 2,000 years ago with Christ on the cross. And the fire that we deserve for our sin was poured out upon us as we are in Christ Jesus. And so we've already been melted. Our heart has already been melted, turned to wax within us. Because of our, and our sins have borne the brunt of God's wrath as well. But the fire is already burned out in Christ Jesus as well. It is finished for Jesus and for us because of our unity with Christ Jesus if we trust in him. And so we've survived with Christ Jesus and will be resurrected with Christ, not to have a vulnerable waxwork body that could deteriorate but a body that will never experience God's wrath again, that will dwell for eternity in heaven. So Micah has bad news, bad news for all of us. The Lord is angry and is coming to melt sinners. But he also has good news. For who? For those who have already been melted in Christ Jesus. The first time the Lord descended was to be condemned to be a substitute, to be melted. The second time the Lord Jesus comes back, it will be to condemn, to melt. First time the Lord Jesus came, his heart was melted like wax. Second time he comes, it will be to melt those who have refused to accept him and to come to God and live according to his ways. And he will melt them. So where are you at this morning? Where are you at? Do you believe, Micah? Have you trusted in Christ and are saved from the fire that is to come? Or do you doubt that God is angry at all? God is a God of love. He's not wrathful. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't get angry. He's not going to punish anyone. Or do you doubt that the Lord is coming from his dwelling place? Do you think God will stay up in heaven? Micah is wrong when he says the Lord is angry and that he's coming. Or do you think that God is not powerful? Do you doubt his power? Do you think of God as a weak and pathetic God? He may come, but he's not going to be able to do much. Or do you doubt that God's power will overcome all your defences? Do you really trust the government, your family, your possessions, your own body, your good works to save you from the wrath of God? Or do you doubt that God will melt everything literally? Do you think that you can bear God's fire yourself? When a nation sees military base after military base overcome, it trembles in fear. Our nation might be able to lock down a virus, but it could lock down an earthquake. Could it lock down a volcano that suddenly erupts? The earth suddenly splits open and lava starts pouring out. Will we be able to have a lockdown here in Sydney and deal with it? Do we really think that we can stop God melting whatever he wants to melt? 
Or maybe you doubt that you're a sinner. And so you think you have nothing to fear. Micah's message is for others. Second Peter, it's for others. God's message, it's for others. People who are worse than me. Message of Micah, message of Peter, the message of the scriptures is stop doubting. Listen to Micah, listen to Peter, listen to God. Don't scoff. God warned the Israelites and many scoffed and were overcome. God's wrath came upon them and melted them up. They were swallowed up in God's wrath. If you don't recognise the truths that are here in Micah, start today. Start recognising them now and accept God's offer of forgiveness. God is being gracious to you this morning. He's being gracious to you and warning you of his coming judgment. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to warn you. He can simply come and judge, but he's giving you time to repent. That's what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's promised his judgment. People think, oh, he's slow. No, he's not slow in the way that we understand. What is he? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's giving you opportunity to repent. And that's how we accept God's forgiveness. How do you accept God's forgiveness? How do you accept the work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross? Well, you ask the Spirit to melt your pride before his word now. Melt my pride so that I will not melt literally before you yourself when you return. You can melt before the word now or you can melt later. Literally melt before God in his return. Don't wait to see your strongholds melted and then you melted after them. Remember, if God can melt mountains... He can melt mountains. He can melt you if he wants to. Many will tremble on that day who don't tremble now. They scoff and they say, it's not coming. God's not coming. They scoff. But they will tremble later. They will tremble when he does return. And I want you to tremble now before his word, before he returns, literally, to judge the world. So turn from your sins. Believe that Christ was melted on your behalf when he said his heart was like wax. Believe that that was your heart as well that was melted like wax there and swallowed up the wrath of God that comes for your sin. And then, if you've repented of your sin and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then what should you do? Well, watch your heart melt, but not in God's wrath, but in joy. Enjoy that you do not fear the Lord's coming, but instead you melt with the joy of the love of God. Melting is bad. We see melting as bad throughout Micah, but there's melting that is good too. Lately, I, I, I'm really struggling with the fact that we're entering into winter, and I got used to eating chocolate. I have a little bit of chocolate every day. Um, last thing, uh, well, not last thing, in the evenings as my little pick-me-up at the end of the day. And I love my chocolate. But I got used to summer, and it's melted in summer in the cupboard. And I really enjoy my chocolate a little bit melted. So I started melting it in the microwave. And it gives me joy to take it out. So I put my chocolate in the microwave on a plate, put it in a certain number of seconds, and, uh, and it comes out, and it's just like it is in summer, just a bit bendy, and you just put it in your mouth, and it's just wonderful goodness, this melted chocolate. That's how our hearts should be melting at the love of God. 
the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, that he would, in his love, send his Son to be melted on our behalf. The love of the Son, that he would willingly go to the cross and be melted on our behalf. And the love of the Holy Spirit, who'd come and work upon our hearts so that they melt in love for him and applies the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Look around you after the service and look at the love that people have for God and the joy that they have, that their hearts are melted by God's love, not by his wrath, but by his love for them, that he would send his son and that the son would die and the Holy Spirit would work upon our hearts. And don't you want to envy that? If you're not a believer, envy that joy that you see in the people here. And then come to Christ. You can have it too. You can have that joy too. If you'll simply melt your pride. If you'll ask the Holy Spirit to melt your pride in the face of God's wrath, but also in the face of his love. He makes an offer to us. Won't you receive it? Let's come to God in prayer. Let's come to him. Heavenly Father, we worship you as a righteous God who does not let sin go unpunished, but you're also a God who shows mercy. And so, Lord, we confess that we and all that we have deserves to be melted because of our sin. Everything needs to go. But we ask that you would forgive us because we trust that you melted Christ's heart at the cross. Help our hearts to continue to melt in grateful joy at your love for sinners like us. Oh, Lord, we pray that we'd always melt before you, but melt at your love for us who are sinners. And, Lord, we pray that you would melt the hearts of any here who have doubted your wrath in the past, who doubt your coming, who doubt their own sinfulness. Oh, Lord, melt their hearts now. Melt their pride so they come to you in repentance and they share the joy that we have of knowing the love of God. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.